So hey everybody, welcome to episode 246 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined once again by Hyman Limbus Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. Alrighty. Um, so yeah, I did I did find the AskMTJC thing I was talking about, Jaime. So why don't you click on that link and see what it says. Oh, I see. So this was not uh, hashtag AskMTJC. This is one I thought you had just sent to me. Uh, well, oh, I guess yeah. Not I did personally, personally, it wasn't a direct message. Like it was non-private, but uh, mm-hmm. all right. I, I see here. You you want to read this one and describe, and then I can describe what it is, and then we can I can sure. describe. Sure. Well, this, like, I was the watching I was watching some sporting event or some TV show on television the other day, and uh, which is where you watch TV shows, I guess. Um, and I saw a commercial for Geico Insurance, and it was a you know, uh, yeah, basically it was a giant goaltender, which we've talked about in the past a couple of times, I think, many times before, about you know filling the net with a player so huge. So in this Geico commercial, they, I'm sure they stole this from us. I mean, that was why I sent it to you. The MTJC bump, right? Um, they've basically got a commercial where they've put a, a walrus in the net, right? And they've got a couple of pads on them, and, and of course, you know, the hockey players are all frustrated because they can't score on this this, this giant goaltender. So that was my, uh, sent it over to you for a comment. Yeah, it, this really gets at the feasibility of my proposal, which for those of you who are new to the show or have just forgotten, my proposal to Tim was, if you had a goalie who was physically large enough to cover the entirety of the goal, and I don't mean like 80, 90, 99%. I mean, literally, there is not a single atom that is uncovered from the... and uh, I looked up right now, real-time follow-up, a walrus would be normally about 2,200 pounds. And for those of you who use kilograms, that's 997 kilos. So I have doubts as to whether any human being has ever been 2,200 pounds. And even at that size, uh, I pointed out to Tim, like, hey, this walrus goalie, as awesome as you'd be, and very clearly a multi-year all-star in the NHL, um, even he does not cover, or she, I guess, uh, they do not cover the entirety of the gold. So it's still physically possible to score on this goal, people. When he lies down, he has a nap, for instance. Well, so, but but here's an interesting fact for you, Jaime. This is this is what the reason why I kind of think this is it's kind of moot point as filling the entire net with you know a giant goaltender because the issue in hockey isn't isn't the getting scored on. The issue is actually scoring on the net, not you know getting scored on. Because if you if you like yesterday was the end of I think the semifinals between um, St. Louis Blues and I've forgotten who they were playing against. It's been so long um but they went into double overtime and the score was one to one so if in five periods of 20 minutes of a piece they couldn't score more than one goal on, on either side why would they even need to bother with a wallerson net i mean yes we're, we're getting it like you know endurance and other things but i propose <laughs> to you <laughs> to sort of wrap this uh way more than just code segment up um i propose to you that if i did have this mythical large enough goalie um and assuming their endurance is you know, yeah. effectively unlimited here. I could have a middle school team defeat <laughs> NHL no, All Stars and score pay. on the, the, My point is, he can't score the goals. Por- right? Por- scoring the goal ties potentially. Well, I don't yeah. think I don't think hockey does go into yeah. into uh, ties. Right? You can't. I don't know. The no, it, it, in the playoffs, it, the, the the whole thing about the whole thing about having no like not having any ties that was something to keep. Like they did that like 10, 15 years ago because they they. They didn't like the fact that games would end up in tie. They felt that the audience was getting frustrated by that, even though each team got a point out of that and you get 
two points for a win kind of thing. So they went to this stupid format where they have to have a winner. They have to have a shootout at the end, right? Um, and maybe that's where your your large goaltender comes in. But in that's in the regular season. In playoffs, they play until one team wins the game, right? So I feel like, like I would still win, even if you had Luongo in goal, because eventually one of my middle schoolers is either going to get very lucky and or Luongo is going to just like, lucky. Luongo you know, would have lose to endurance, out. right? <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm sure they have at least a backup for, for goalies, but they it, certainly the don't have like players in the league. We're, we're, we're stretching, stretching this point. Maybe on <laughs> needs to go, but the top players in the league cannot score a goal on a professional goaltender after like, you know, six periods. I mean, seriously, like I, I don't, it's a moot point. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> we can agree to disagree, Tim. <laughs> All right. We certainly can. Certainly can. But yeah, there you go. I mean, because what's the point of having a walrus in that if you can't, if your team can't score a goal? I've been a goaltender and I've, I've been frustrated by my team who couldn't score a goal to win a game, even though, you know, I did everything I could to keep yeah, keep from getting scored on. Anyway. All right. So in follow-up, you've got oh, something here. way more than just code podcast. <laughs> yes. This will be follow-up eventually <laughs> in 2021 when the NHL this comes to Seattle. This is what we do to lead up to the, to the WWDC. Anyway, so yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, very quick here, here that the United Kingdom government will now accept Apple Pay and Google Pay for some of their services. My main note here is just like, wow, that's actually pretty cool and a good idea. I sure would like to do like things like pay for parking tickets or, you know, renew my license and stuff without having to go into heaven knows what sort of web form using Java struts. Um, maybe it'd be nicer to not have to put in my credit card number, but actually just use great secure tokenized payment schemes, modern schemes like Apple Pay and Google Pay. Cool. Yeah. Great. About time. And by the way, we should, we should have a discussion about my, uh, maybe in the follow-up here, about my uh, recent experience with iPhones and getting them, getting it uh, activated and what happened with the backup data. Thank you very much, Apple. Um, but I do have a follow-up item before we get, and this is, I was looking for this earlier, but I'll, I'll find the link to to the story and put it in here. But um, I think I'd mentioned a couple of weeks ago that uh, we have to be careful crossing borders now with our digital devices and, you know, that the, the TSA and the Canadian Border Protection, CBSA or something, whatever they're called up here, they um, have the right to say to you, open up your computer, open up your your, uh, your laptop. Um, a lawyer, a Canadian lawyer, was had his laptop and his phone confiscated as he came back into the Canada because he refused to give them his password. And they claim that they can take it away. They take your property away. They can send it off to the government and they use some fancy scanning software to hack into your computer and open up and read your emails because they want to basically, you know, see what your purpose of travel is all about. And of course, a lawyer is saying, I can't let you have access to my computer because I have confidential, you know, client privileged information on there. So yeah, so a follow up story that uh, a lawyer did in fact have his laptop and his phone confiscated from him. Yeah, I'm not a lawyer. I'm certainly not going to give people advice that will get them in trouble with international authorities, but um, it is problematic. I mean, you talked about United States and Canada, but you can throw in a whole bunch of countries to the mix of a lot of countries having interesting ideas about what they can and can't get access to, and the legal precedence in both of these places is um, not yet established. And I personally do not want to uh, test those theories out. <laughs> I don't want to be right. the, the poster child for like, hey, does somebody have to give that sort of information to um, any immigration and or uh, customs agents? I have no idea. I really hope I don't end up in that situation. I'm sure there are mm-hmm. things people can do, like you could have uh, burner phones and use, you know, uh, cloud backups and stuff. I have no idea on the legalities of some of those and exactly how far people go. And again, the advice varies based on are you a, uh, a normal individual citizen and or are you for reasons somehow on some sort of watch list 
list that people might have more interest in looking at you personally. So all of this advice is for entertainment purposes only, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as I said, just a real-time follow-up, correction, fact-check, whatever. It is the CBSA here in Canada, Canadian Border Security Agency, I think it's called. Same as your TSAs in the States. They say that, you know, since uh, November 2017 and March, between 2017, November 2017 and March 2019, 19,500 travelers have had their digital devices examined, which represents uh, 0.15% of all cross-border travelers during that period. So, yeah. so 39% of those searches uh, offers uncovered evidence of customs-related offenses and so on and so forth. So, yeah, so just uh, be uh, be aware that um, this could happen to you. And I'm thinking about it, you know, because, you know, I go into the States for things like WWDC and uh, I was in Hawaii a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, just heads up for people when they're traveling. Travel light, d- digitally speaking. All right. Or be prepared to, you know, lose your computer. Yes. Anyway. All right. So uh, here's a story that just uh, popped up on the radar today that uh, I don't know if you've seen this picture at all, but there's, a, a I guess, a drone picture taken of um, Apple Park. And in the middle, of, it's quite lush and green now that uh, it's been a couple of years since the Apple Park opened uh, in Cupertino, but uh, there's a rainbow bandstand in uh, the middle of Apple Park. Do you guys, have you seen, if you look at the click on the link, you can see the image there? Yeah, I saw the images. Uh, it's it's sort of remarkable in that for a long time, Apple did not allow drones to fly overhead. Right. Uh, and now, sort of all of a sudden, they did, which is kind of interesting. Um, and, and there is this thing there. I don't know if that's a coincidence or not. Probably is. But yeah, I was wondering myself, whether this is, I can't really tell from the pictures whether this is a permanent structure or just a temporary structure. Right. Uh, oh, it, right. Yeah. You know, it, it's possible that they just decided they want to have an outdoor stage for for events and parties and things like that uh, for for employees, uh, or it could be for a special event. Uh, yeah, we have no idea. Right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, when I went to I went to Apple Park once as a on a customer visit, um, and uh, that that was for sure not there when I went. Were there as many trees as there are in this picture here? There were. In fact, I think there were more because that open field in the middle, I don't remember being there. I think, I thought it was all trees at the time. Right, right. But I yeah, could be I wrong. think when, yeah, when I was there in 2017, I think Apple was like using giant cranes to bring trees into the, the property in itself, right? So, yep. interesting stuff. I mean, at least they're putting up some green space, right? Like they, like they promise. It's funny, I was looking back at some some images that I had on my computers and I think what the, the original plans for Apple Park was back to 2011. Does that sound about right? That seems like an awful long time ago. Yeah. I don't know. I was a time step on these images. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, on Monday, we had a big uh, WWDC type thing. Well, the, the speculation, of course, was that this, this is this rainbow thing some, for some WWDC event, which sounds unlikely, yeah, right? Yeah, it could be. I mean, Who knows? I, I think it's more likely some internal event for employees. Maybe yeah. they have like a yearly thing where they have a band come in or something. And who knows? It, yeah. it would seem possible to be a WWDC thing if we were a little bit closer to it. It seems like a little excessive to put this, what is it, like almost four weeks in advance of the right. uh, of the event. Um, but it does make me think, man, Apple really should release more stuff with the retro logo, you know, rainbow stuff. I think, I think it's about time for it to come back. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's weird that they got rid of it, to be honest with you. I always liked that logo. Was I here last week? I can't remember. I lost track of time. <laughs> Island time, right? Um, mm. Build was this week for Microsoft, and that was more, um, actually more for developer stuff. There wasn't really a ton for users from a st- like a, oh, wow, that's cool standpoint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess the quick recap on that is uh, Microsoft is going all in on their, their dev tools, kind of going back to their, their roots. So the there will be a full Linux kernel running uh, within Windows, and that's how they do Linux compatibility with Bash. 
Uh, I think we've talked about that many moons ago uh, when they first started adding that. They are going really in on uh, Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code, especially both of those IDEs being available on multi-platforms, including like uh, the Mac in particular for Visual Studio Code, and really keying in on the Google Docs style collaboration or uh, pair programming or coding together using Visual Studio Code. So remote development. Mm -hmm. They had a web-based version of Visual Studio Code. It looked pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Definitely jealous of, oh, wow, it would be cool to do, you know, Xcode on the web sort of thing, you know, and you're like, uh, on island time, for example, you need to do a quick patch from your iPad or something. And they also, uh, of course, they did a lot with their uh, machine learning stuff, uh, new uh, graphical tools to help build models and uh, Azure, Azure, Azure was sort of the the big refrain there. Um, I'm trying to remember what, uh, they've also repositioned uh, Cortana. It's their uh, voice assistant to not be sort of a generalized assistant, but be really heavily focused towards office productivity. So they showed um, a video of like, okay, uh, this lady has all of these different appointments that she's trying to deal with and emails and stuff that need to be sent out. And Cortana understands the context and is smart enough to be aware, oh, um, I want to have lunch with Bob and figures out a lunch location. Um, Is the weather good? It's like, yes, weather's good. You can go ahead and be in the patio to have lunch at the restaurant, send a message for that. Really nifty, cool stuff. Of course, it's constrained in sort of a, a very narrow environment. It's not like um, you know, generalized AI as the hope that people would want someday. But still, you know, pretty cool stuff. Like I said, mostly developer tools related, not so much in the, holy smokes, look at this new phone they're creating sort of thing. Mm-hmm. This is Microsoft you're talking about, right? Yeah, Microsoft Build, which I'm like, why in the world would you have that the same week as Google I.O.? Like, just pick another week. <laughs> Spend some time in the sun, you know, having people yeah. enjoy what you're doing. Anyway, um, so th- yeah, this Monday we had uh, the uh, Google I.O. event started for 2019, and so I, I got the chance to sit down and watch part of the uh, the keynote. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you guys have watched any of it. Um, there were some, you know, there were some interesting things that, that were announced there, but some of the things that caught my eye I've made notes of here. I don't know if, Jaime, if you've made any notes about uh, Google I.O. at all. No, I saw a 13-minute recap, so I'll be interested to see, as somebody okay. who saw it live, it sounds like for you, I'll be interested sure. to see your take on it. Yeah, sure. Well, the, the thing that, the thing that, the, I've seen it mentioned as sort of black magic kind of stuff was, was they did a demo of their, what's their, um, oh, I guess it's Hey Google, right? Um, their continuous conversation um, API. So their, so the the demonstration was rather than just saying, hey, Google, the person just started talking to her phone and asking it to do things and continue. Like she said, th- open things like, like, you know, what's the weather like? And, you know, send this picture to Joe and, you know, and, okay. and but the way she was saying it wasn't like, you know, she was able to say one thing, have the the, the phone do follow that action and then, re- then continue the conversation by saying, okay, now send it. It kind of thing without like you know how when you send an email, a message to somebody i can say a message to mark and siri will say what would you like more to say to mark and i tell it what to say and then would you like me to send it and they say yes send it that's kind of sort of a um continuous conversation but that's like a flow right that they've that they've got pre-built but this was more like she was having a conversation with the phone you know giving it almost disparate instructions and it was able to carry on like she was just able to hit one command after another voice command to, to the phone as you would talking to somebody right and 
assistant or whatever, right? Uh, it was it was really cool. There's there's lots of videos of that online for people can see. But that was a really interesting piece. Um, the other thing that I thought was really cool was some of these things that they're doing for accessibility. One of the things that caught my eye was a thing called live caption, which basically means you can anything you're streaming on your phone, whether it's a podcast or a video, or like or even a trailer for a movie that doesn't have captioning on it, doesn't need captioning. You, it literally will do live captioning on the device, which is really cool, right? So there's like, a, um, last year they said they had a two gigabyte model that they would use for captioning that you had to go up to the cloud to get. Well, now they've reduced that size down to an 80 megabyte model that's that lives on the device. So they're doing on-device um, closed captioning on the fly in real time. That was pretty cool. Um, another piece, and I can't remember what live, re- did you see about anything about live relay? I mean, I made a note here, but I can't remember what it was. I think live relay was the reverse of normal voice interaction where I think somebody could type something out and the assistant would read it out. So if somebody was mute, for example, they oh, could. Oh, right. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Or they had a speech impediment, I believe, right? Yeah. Not the one? Or no, that was Project Euphoria. Uh, Euphonia. The the impediment one was sort of a different one. We'll, we'll talk about Euphonia because I thought it was pretty interesting. But I yeah. think Relay is the one where, um, again, is kind of the, the opposite of like write text and then somebody else hears speech. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, Project Euphonia was kind of cool. And I think, you know, just amazing that they've, that uh, I'm glad they're doing this kind of thing because it's like for people who have, you know, uh, or who are deaf and, you know, can't hear what they're saying or people who have actual speech impediments or they've, like in the case of the person narrating in the video, he had multiple sclerosis and, and that's a degenerative, your muscles start to deteriorate over time. Um, so he had, you know, so people who have trouble understanding him, right? But the, the uh, sort of so like an advanced speech recognition um, beyond just, you know, regular, regular voice recognition like we have now where you can, you know, dictate a message into Siri or Google or whatever. Um, this actually uh, is able to process his speech on the fly and convert it into readable text. So you and I could be looking at a screen and understanding what the person's saying by looking at the captions, right? So somebody with a thick accent, for example, um, that was kind of cool. What I found interesting was a lot of the machine learning stuff that Google was talking about. They repeatedly mentioned local on device and, and not necessarily in the cloud. And they did mention yeah. privacy uh, more often than you would normally hear them say, just given what their business is. It's more in line with what Apple would be saying. And I found that to be an interesting sort of twist in, if not necessarily where they're going as a company, at least how they are positioning themselves um, in a post-GDPR, uh, post-Cambridge Analytica world. Yeah, yeah. Well, as an Apple fanboy in the room, watching with, with a bunch of other people who were more Android-centric um, or more interested in the Android side of things, um, I did notice there was a, there was, it wasn't so much digs against Apple, but they were there were comments that they were making that were clearly marketing messages saying, we're doing this and we're slightly better than those other guys without saying the other guys or mentioning or even saying the word the other guys I'm doing air quotes so there was a lot of um, like here's something we're doing and isn't it awesome but it was kind of like almost like isn't it awesomer <laughs> you know right <laughs> yeah so anyway so then they moved on to Android 10 which is now coming out I think they, Android P is that what 10 is I think right uh, Q. Q Q okay yeah and I think that yeah P was last year I think right uh, P Q R S T yeah. yeah that would be Pi which was the, was the official um, yeah. I don't know it was like in the fall I think when they announced I was trying the to remember name. my alphabets you know whatever yeah um, but uh, the uh, the uh, things that I noticed interesting was that there's 180 device manufacturers building Android phones um, you know I think I forgot how many uh, OEMs that is but uh, they mentioned that in the thing so I, that's a sizable number of, of you know, if you think about Apple's got one manufacturer making for iOS and, and all 
all that kind of stuff. So they really have, you know, other than sizes of phones, they don't have that much to deal with in terms of different hardwares, right? Um, again, they, they, they talked about their foldable phones. I still shake my head and wonder why we need foldable phones, but yeah, apparently they, they're working on a, they have a foldable phones coming up and they're so Android, Android 10 is supporting the idea of foldable phones so that, you know, there, you can have a, an iPad experience, you can fold it up and, and have it, you know, go down to like a smartphone kind of experience, right? Um, notwithstanding how thick the thing is going to be when you fold it, but, but that they've already got the support for that built into into Android 10. Another thing I've found interesting that they're, we talked about this on the show is that they've also got built-in support for 5G, right? And we don't even know what 5G is, do we yet? I mean, we know the concept of it. I'm not sure if it's actually been well, is it well-defined at this point? Like you have to make this minimum standard to be considered 5G and use these particular technologies? I don't know for sure, but I do know that uh, people are building networks and calling them 5G. Right, yeah. In, including AT&T with their kind of fake 5G, uh, <laughs> which is really 4G, but, you know, a little bit better with a, with a marketing name like they did with... 4GS, right? Yeah, well, remember they did the same thing with, with uh, 4G um, yeah, yeah. where it was pre-LTE. They they had something they called 4G, which was really just 3G plus. So, yeah, it's it's a little unclear right now where things are, but um, yeah, I think we'll see in the next year or so for sure where things are headed. Yeah, so what's interesting about this too is that, so they claim to have 20 plus carriers, or they're, sorry, not they have, but there are 20 plus carriers working on 5G networks that they'll be they'll be ready to support when it rolls out when, when these devices are ready. So. Oh, yeah, I mean, all the carriers are working on it, so yeah. <laughs> who knows what that really means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't remember what smart reply was now, Jaime, do you remember? I did not see that on the recap, but I wonder if it's a continuation of things that they've done in um, like Gmail. If you're using Gmail, you start typing a response and it like is pretty scary as to like how accurately it was predict what kind of letter, like, a very uh, Microsoft clippy style of like, oh, it looks yeah. like you're writing an apology letter. Let me just fill in half of this for you. Yeah, that's true. They, they, you're just, you're just reminding remind me, this is exactly what it is. It's some sort of beyond, you know, predict, predictive text kind of stuff that we have in phones now where you can guess a word or two. It's like you said, I think you can get entire passages um, out of that, right? Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting is the Pixel 3 series of phones. And I'm not sure about the letters. There's a, there's a, I think there's a large phone and a small phone in this case. But what really got my attention was the 399 price point, right? Because, you know, we've talked about the, uh, the um, South Asian market where, you know, Apple is having a hard time cracking that one with their $1,000 phones, right? Um, and because, I mean, they don't earn more than $1,000 by the time they get over there into those markets. But the, did you did you see anything about the 3G, or sorry, the Pixel 3 phone, Tommy? Yeah, or, to clarify, we're talking about the 3A one. So these are uh, not higher end, not like the Pixel 3, which came out um, last year, if I'm not mistaken, the a more high end facing model that's like $700 US um, base price. As you mentioned here, the 3A is more of a mid-tier to low-end model at 399 has specs that are a bit of a compromise compared to the Pixel 3, but still has, from my understanding, a pretty pretty good, decent camera, especially with that night sight, uh, low-light photography mode that they have. So I don't think it's anything to really, um, uh, to you know, uh, I don't know that it'll be a huge downgrade for folks, right? Like if you're, clearly if you're in the tier of like, I want to spend $1,500 for my phone, this is probably not the phone for you. But if you're like, well, I really don't care about my phone. I use it for Instagram. I use it to, you know, do instant messaging. All right, three ninety nine might get you a pretty decent phone. Yeah, that's what I mean. But like I was saying that, like for the for the markets where price points are are important, like you know, trying to get into the. I mean, it's going to really wedge, create a wedge for Apple to try and crack through in, like, for instance, 
it's like India, right? So what was it? What was it? Uh, Brazil, China, Russia? What was that thing called uh, brick or brick. something like that? Is it brick? Yeah, brick. Yeah, the other the other countries that that you know they're they're they don't make the American or Canadian salaries. You know, they're they're making way less money per month, and so uh, you know, buying a thousand dollar phone is like you know a you know couple of months worth of pay, right? So yeah, I mean, there's there's clearly like a, if you phys- not physically if you cannot afford um, a fifteen hundred dollar iPhone XS, I mean that is going to be an issue, and maybe Apple will discover some more iPhone SEs in Tim Cook's basement, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> they clearly will have to address that at some point, especially as they're like, well, we'll give you these devices uh, at a more entry level price, but that's also because we want you to subscribe to Apple Music and Apple News Plus and Apple TV Plus and all that other subscription service based stuff. Yeah, and the, the existence of lower and lower cost phones is is nothing new. Uh, this just happens to be one that you know seems to have some pretty good specs, but but there have always been phones at that lower price point that you can get. Sure. Yeah, yeah, especially on yeah on the Android side. But I mean, the SE doesn't compete at this price point, does it? Or did it? Uh, I thought it was around that price. Yeah, but it's it's not. You can't get it anymore, though, right? Didn't they deprecate it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah I think so. When they cleared the trees for that rainbow thing, they found a whole bunch of crates of right. <laughs> that's why they cleared the trees because that's what that's where they had the stash buried. Yeah, yeah. So the the last thing I kind of noticed out of, out of the talk and. Then I had to leave the room for various reasons, but um, yeah. So the last thing I saw in the in the demonstration was, or in the demo was, yeah, I guess demo was the talk about this adaptive battery. Now we know that Apple got um, got in trouble with people when I think it was the iPhone six when they started talking about dumbing down the processes on the phone to preserve battery life and things like that, and they got a real you know tongue lashing from the media and from people on the social networks and stuff like that, and had to backtrack and apologize for doing it. Um, but the Apple, sorry. Google is presenting this as adaptive battery technology, and it's sort of a different take, but similar idea that um, rather than having your battery run sort of at one sort of full full charge or whatever until it runs out of juice and then you need to go find somewhere to charge it, they will sort of keep track of the battery usage and its load over time and during during the day, for instance, and adjust the amount of power that the phone uses, you know, and adjust the amount of power that the battery supplies to the phone, I guess is a better way to put it, so that it'll last longer um, beyond the, the amount of time. I forget what number they threw out, but it was like considerably more hours than you have in a day, if I'm not mistaken, right? So that was kind of an interesting interesting piece of tech. I'm not sure if that's in this particular phone or in, in what model phone that is in, but did you see something about that, Jaime, at all in your three-minute recap? Yeah, and I think it got thrown into some of the things like the system-wide dark mode that will help save battery because right. things like OLED ones, if you show pure black like they don't even light up the pixel so there's a savings there and i think they had mentioned it possibly as part of the adaptive battery thing you're talking about as a Mm -hmm. oh when you get into critical power reserve mode it just automatically flips you in the dark mode as an attempt to squeeze out more time right right and i think it's using part of the ai as well according to some of the things i'm reading online um yeah but that's that's kind of cool i mean i i have my own ai i put my phone on on low power mode if i think i'm going to be away from power for an extended period of time right yeah i I have to i have not actually done that because I went the opposite route of keeping a very small anchor or anchor, I forget how to pronounce the company's name. Uh, it's like the size of 
Like if you got a roll of quarters, I just have that with me at all times. So anytime I'm getting low, I just power back up with uh, with uh, that battery. And I've never actually gotten to the point of also running out of that battery. So I've never had to do oh, right. the, yeah. the okay. low power mode. But you remember to charge that battery every day though, don't you? So. It, it loses something. Like I don't think like I predominantly use it if I'm like traveling or going to conferences or um, even if I just know, oh, I'm going to have to use uh, maps on the phone, you know, GPS on the phone or any other uh, battery burning sort of activity. And I'll make sure, of course, that I'm like very diligent to recharge the external battery whenever I end up using it. And I've recharged it uh, like once a month or something. You know, I'll, I'll drain it out by, you know, instead of plopping my phone on the, uh, the little nightstand charger, I'll hook it up to this thing to complete drain that battery and then, um, you know, doing it in the morning or something. Or, or if it's early enough at night, just setting it up to recharge during the night. It is entirely possible for me to get into, oh, crap situation but you know fingers crossed so far i've not had the uh the pleasure of using low power mode on iphone yeah it looks like they've had an adaptive battery last year i'm just looking at some notes here from uh last year's notes about um google io 18 they had adaptive battery back then as well so did you have it so what did you pick up from uh google io i mean i feel like it was kind of a more quiet year i mean there's yeah some good stuff for developers some good stuff for users but there generally wasn't the holy smokes the Here's the killer feature or the killer app or the killer thing. Um, I don't know. I, I think we're just kind of at that uh, maturity point these, uh, in these life cycles that there's uh, fewer fewer surprises at these at these keynotes. And, and this is one I went into not knowing sort of anything because mm-hmm. there just isn't the same sort of, or at least in the circles I follow, uh, there isn't the same sort of fervor of uh, criminology of like the darn invites and stuff as there is in the Apple ecosystem. Oh, um, the Google Home device with the camera in it. Do we talk about that? The rebranding? of uh google home to google nest yeah yeah and the, and the sort of homogenizing of the, all the nest line nest product lines as well right. i got some notices today from some of my uh, smart smart devices manufactured home devices saying that their app or google has cut back uh, a google for ne- google nest for home or something like that a program like uh works with nest i think yeah is that's what, what it was yeah. called yeah yeah so they're like kicking some of the uh kicking some of the people to the curb but yeah so they got this this uh, they've got a bigger version of the the home hub i guess it's called nest home hub and it has a camera on the top of it now and like i think a 10 inch diagonal screen and the big giant woofer on the back of it and you know they're looking to put that in your the center of your home or in your your kitchen for cooking stuff like that so that was an interesting thing and there oh when you're when you're uh, walking around the street the by the way the adaptive battery is part of the os not the phone um but when you're walking around the street the uh, the heads up display will give you uh, direction turning like in, like arrows on the screen so you're walking when you're walking around. Yeah, that was something that I thought they showed at last year's I.O. and I could have sworn was going to end up being general availability, but apparently not if they're talking about it being on uh, as part of this phone. But it is something useful. Like um, It is kind of nice to be able to look and see in the real world, where am I supposed to go, instead of mentally translating, okay, I'm looking at the blue dot, where is the, uh, the cone of vision pointing, and therefore, which way must I be pointing in order to get where I want to go? Right. That was Carol's biggest complaint, by the way when we're on the um, using the apple maps for navigation when we're in hawaii like it would say travel southwest and yet it wouldn't give you a compass on the screen so you couldn't tell which way southwest was you know so um unless you went back to the map view you couldn't you got a compass there but if you're, if you're driving for some reason it's always just showing you the direction you're going in and but it talks to you about in relative terms which mean nothing to you if like for us in toronto we have the cn tower we can almost figure out where south is right um you know when you have your familiar landmarks that you know that was kind of 
really annoying <laughs> as a sidebar. Anyway, I guess that's that's it. So lots of interesting things out of Google. A lot of the, I think some of the stuff drops uh, today. Like I think you can download uh, Android Q now. Beta three looks like right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely an area where you you get the software um, a bit earlier, and then they end up talking about some of the bigger features at I/O. Cool. All right. Well, let's switch over to the one that we really care about, which is WWDC 2019. Um, we actually both put the same link in here. I don't know if, I just, I don't know if you noticed that, but oh. different headlines. Oh, I noticed. <laughs> and if oh, you, you check know. the if you check the revision history, I know mine was first, but you can check for yourself. No, to no, see. It's, I, I realize yours was first, but but it's it's interesting that so um, you've got here Apple Apple WWDC 2019 iOS 13, Mac OS 10, 15, Watch 6, iO and TVOS features, and I called it Apple to reveal new homegrown apps and software features at WWDC on the same article. So I don't know where you got your headline from. I use the Clips extension, and that was probably the difference um, in the headline or the slug or possibly even the URL um, at the time that we uh, we independently put the same... Uh, ended up the link's so nice we put it twice into yes, the show notes. Exactly. Uh, and it's, it's pretty beefy. We're talking about a Bloomberg article by Mark Gurman, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he covers a lot of stuff, so I, I almost feel like <laughs> very similar to like Game of Thrones or Avengers Endgame. Uh, if you don't want to get massive spoilers for WWDC, you might want to you know pause and, and skip ahead to the after show or something, but... Uh, <laughs> Let's just see if we can knock through what this pretty beefier items here. So, um, yeah, you know, we were talking about 5G. So apparently iOS 13 is not necessarily going to have that, but iOS 14 is the one that's expected to support 5G wireless networks. All right, cool. Um, dark mode seems to be the name of the game for everybody. And that seems like it's pretty much confirmed here as a, is a spoilerific thing. Uh, supposedly iOS 13 will include a new keyboard that's kind of like the swipe keyboards that you've probably either used on Android and or installed third-party keyboards on iOS to use. Um, that might be interesting because I, I kind of gave up on using um, the one I was using before because it, it just seemed to not play very well with the auto-correct that you would get out of the operating system itself. So I am very interested to see what Apple does uh, given that they would control the full stack there. So what was that about the keyboard? Sorry, I missed that. Yeah, do you remember um, Swipe was one that's really popular in, oh, right. or was oh, yeah. really popular in Google land. Um, I used the third-party keyboard extension from Google, Google Keyboard to do something very similar on iOS. And I tried it for a while and I just ended up not, not liking it too much because as I mentioned, it didn't work with autocomplete as well as I would have liked. Um, yeah, but yeah. I am interested to see what, what Apple can do since they do have that entire stack. Oh uh, man, there's just like so much. Let me see what I can pick out the things that I personally like and I can let you fill in the gaps. So um, apparently the, uh, oh, I'm going to choose even, even smaller stuff. Are we covering so, iOS right now or whatever? I'm covering iOS, but it's like, it's so long okay. here. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. what, what am I going to cover here? Because we, we can go forever. What jumped out at me, we talked about this last couple of weeks ago is uh, the idea of replacing Luna Display or Duet Display with a built-in support for iPad as a second screen. Yeah, that that is one that has me very interested to use uh, for iPad in particular. Mm-hmm. I hadn't talk about, thought about dark mode as a battery-saving convention. You mentioned that in the Google talk, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, look at this. Uh, Apple's planning to let the HomePod speaker respond to different users' voices. Right, yeah, I saw that one. Which would be nice. That's, that's on their way to the, the one, sorry, $2 trillion company. Um, iMessage is an interesting one here where they're saying that um, people will be able to set a profile picture and display name, which is kind of weird because I'm kind of more used to, you know, if uh, if Uncle Bob is calling, all right, 
right? I've sent this funny photo of Uncle Bob and that's my profile picture or, or my contact picture, I should say, for that person whenever I see, you know, who's calling? Oh, it's Uncle Bob. Look at this funny thing. Going the route of having people set a profile picture for what I assume is like their Apple ID account, I guess it makes it easier to share that sort of thing, but it's kind of weird to have it be on the one end customizable from the standpoint of like, oh, my profile picture will be, you know, this perfect profile. And then what do you see on the other end, right? Like if, if Uncle Bob has set their own profile picture and I have my local contact photo, what do I see in that point, right? Like I can see the social networky and as Mark Grimm describes here, the WhatsApp-like enhancements to do that. I'm very curious to see where that goes. Yeah. The one here about, we talked about a couple of weeks ago about screen time and the new feature of screen time would allow parents to adjust what time their kids can use their phone and who they can contact and what, what times they can contact them, which is sort of a follow-up to our conversation about the fact that Apple was pulling apps that were using third-party parental control. Right? Of course, we'll see if, if uh, the kids can still change the, the time on their phone and get around. Yeah. This. <laughs> right. <laughs> Life hacks. Um, the Reminders app is, seems like an interesting one here that they're going to update it to compete with um, you know more of a to-do list programs and making it more than just a simple list. I think this is a, a nice thing because I actually was pleasantly surprised by how useful the Notes app was when they uh, you know introduced that and, and then subsequently revamped it to do you know more cool things. And I do use the Reminders app on a fairly regular basis for yeah, like here. shopping list stuff or oh remember to go drop off this package sort of stuff. But it would be kind of nice to have it be more of a to-do list that had like oh here are tasks that you need to do today. Here's things you need to do this week. Uh, here are longer term tasks. So I'm not like super afraid for like oh no like Apple's going to Sherlock the whole to-do list industry. I think this will still remain an area ripe with people who are um, you know if you're going to create a new app it's going to be a to-do list right. Um, but it will be nice to see the basic operating system one um, in, in particular since I use Siri through things like the HomePod or Apple Watch. I'm very interested in having the built-in reminders app do more than it does today. I'm a little less jazzed on the uh, uh, refreshed Apple Books app that will encourage users to read more by way of an updated progress tracker and a new reward system. That really reminds me of being in like first oh, grade school and having yeah. the, the summer summer reading program where you got a sticker every time you read a book over the summer. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I remember yeah. getting like, I don't know, Pizza Hut as a reward or something for reaching some threshold. I'm like, <laughs> okay, maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm denigrating it now, but watch, watch me be like, oh man, look, you know all these awesome Apple Pay rewards I got? <laughs> How many books you yeah. read this week? Well, it does sound to me like this is something targeted towards kids as opposed to us. Right. Right. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah. They're combining Find My Friends and Find My Phone together into one sort of single app called Green Torch. Supposedly that, uh, I don't know, it's a weird one. I guess for tracking people again, challenge apps like Tile according to this. Yeah, the the, the physical thing that you could have a Tile-like um, tag or beacon or whatever it is seems like the more interesting part of this. The uh, combining Find My Friends and Find My iPhone into a singular app, that, that kind of makes sense as consolidation. I really don't like having to sign in with my Apple ID into both of those. Um, I've personally not had to use both at the same time, but if I ever did, <laughs> I definitely would prefer to just sign in once instead of like, okay, where's my friend? All right, all right, now where's my phone? <laughs> you know, uh, and why in the world <laughs> did I ever lend my phone to my friend who now lost it at the beach and we're looking around for it like dummies, right? Yeah. Well, I was at the, the art gallery with my sister and her family and uh, the four of them used Find My Friends to sort of see where each other are and it was handy to look for each other in the gallery, but I hadn't used it since since it first came out. It's a lot faster now. It's much more responsive, I find, than, than it was my in my previous files with it, right? So kind of interesting app. But sort of remember Foursquare used to do something like that, where you could you could see where your buddies were, kind of thing. Did you ever 
do that? I never took part in that, but I did use um, Glimpse. Anybody remembers that? Maybe it's still around. I'm not sure. But Maybe you're thinking of Tinder. No, <laughs> no Glimpse was uh, a, like, here's my location. Um, I used it for, oh, I'm on my way. And so people can kind of see like, right. yeah. on your route, how far away are you? Right. Yeah, yeah. So let's move on to, 10, to Mac OS 10.15. What's cool coming in there? Yeah, well, people who are interested in our very show will potentially like the uh, the podcast app that would be mm. uh, apparently coming over. I assume that's a marzipan thing. Um, I fully expected to be like the Apple podcast app, uh, but on Mac OS. Um, apparently a new Apple Music app, which 100% confuses me. I feel like there needs to be more more paragraphs here for this one. Like, Tell me more. What do you mean a new music app? Do you mean moving music out of Move iTunes? Out of iTunes. Yeah. 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 They, they did it on, on iOS a few years ago, right? So mm-hmm. the time that might the be Apple a marzipan app as well. It could just be the iPhone music app in some form. And, and that would make sense. Um, but I, I re- again, I really wish that Mark German put more meat here on this one because he, he put so much flavor in some of these other minor ones. I'm like, oh, like, I feel like he dropped a bomb here and he didn't explain what happened. Well, it's interesting in the second paragraph in this section, he talks about um, how Apple, we always have been saying that Apple's going to use the marzipan thing to allow people to write iPad apps, interestingly enough, to work on their Mac, right? Not necessarily iPhone apps, but um, and to try and make it easier for developers who are um, producing apps. They'll, they'll produce a build for iOS and a build for the Mac App Store, but using using um, UI Kit and those kind of conventions that we're all gotten used to in the last 10 years, right? So, um, like, we, we, with a share, I guess a shared code base kind of thing. That's So that's where, you know, he's saying that Marzipan's going to go, right? And that bring, that leads on to Apple doing it themselves with uh, the iP- podcast app, music app, and, and some other things like screen time and messages and things, right? Yeah, it, it, it makes sense for me you know, um, make the experience a little bit more seamless in terms of these capabilities being everywhere, you know, regardless of what form factor you're using. I also think it makes a ton of sense as a way to, you know, really dog food the whole marzipan structure yeah. and find yeah. out like where, where are the loose ends that they need to tighten up and everything. But um, as a very, very minor 30 second segue, looking at this again, what do you guys think? What are your predictions? Do we, do we get marzipan at all this year at WWDC? Do we get it sort of partially like as a, as a beta preview or is it next year that we get it in any capacity what, what do you what do you mean by get it? Do, you, do you mean developers get it yeah like, yeah, like we can yeah. we can okay let's split into two halves will we get the ability to run official sdk stuff to develop marzipan uh, apps like that's the first half and then the second half is when will those apps be something that we can actually submit to the app store and have them running live in production right right well I, I, maybe we'll get sort of a developer preview like we've had in the past that maybe because i mean these os will they necessarily ship in july or yeah july or june um they probably won't come to the to the market till september october kind of time frame right is that well, how they usually normal? give a beta version yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But it, then it goes to a public beta or, or maybe it goes to public beta right away but um like i, I kind of sort of see it as that and then maybe yeah maybe sometime in the fall we would get uh, the ability to upload apps with sort of further scrutiny since it's the mac not ios right but mind you i guess ios since it's using ui kit and these kind of conventions it's probably easier for them to sandbox us, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think we'll get some form of it. Uh, I, I don't know that it'll be like a, a seamless, uh, just take your iOS app and press a button and all of a sudden it's converted all the all the gestures to mouse clicks and things like that. I, I don't know that that'll happen, yeah. but, but um, I think we'll get some form of it. Maybe maybe it'll have maybe it'll have some library that's that 
has things that I'm trying to think of a good way to phrase it. Maybe it'll have some library that will have components that you can place and use. And depending on whether it's an iOS target or a macOS target, it will it will interpret that in a certain way. Uh, you know, as a mouse click or as a tap or something like that. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to say. Well, with the with the trackpads on most of our laptops and you know with Magic Trackpad like I got on my desktop here, um, the ability to do force touch and things like that. But I was going to say that I remember back when I was doing Mac development, you know, on Cold Warrior back in you know classic days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of emphasis at, at first on keyboard and mouse mouse events, right? Um, that's kind of, that's the that's I always thought that was sort of one of the reasons. I mean, the fact that you get the menu and all that kind of stuff for the Mac toolbox was was kind of cool. But um, even in HyperCard development back in the day, there was there was emphasis on what the keyboard would do, what what the mouse would do, and that kind of stuff, right? So I think that that you know in the same way that like last year they demonstrated if you want to have dark mode running on your Mac app and and your regular mode, you know, you had to do some, you had to make some decisions about how the, the um, you know, what graphics it would load and what version of the graphics it would load. Maybe sim- something similar to that, like you'll have to, you'll have your iOS build for, for your iPad and okay, now you have to make these kind of changes and these kind of decisions for the Mac, right? So as you said, it's not as simple as a one click button to make it automatically, you know, translate to Mac, right? Like it'll be sort of maybe they'll be adding things to UI kit to handle mouse events and keyboard events and screen events, right? Menus and things. All right, let's let's move on to the watch then. So I, the reason I got this link uh, that I picked up behind me was because I was following James Thompson, who was talking about uh, the fact that uh, Mark Gurman mentions that Apple will come out with some sort of calculator for the watch, which uh, to which he replies, welcome to the watch, seriously, which is a play on the IBM ad, right? It's very, very cheeky. And I, I do think that it makes sense in a, like, did anybody own or have somebody in their family who owned a Casio calculator watch? Hmm. I did. I didn't personally own one, but I... Back then. <laughs> What's that? You had one? Everybody had one back then. Scientific I was calculator. a little too young to have one, but my uh, yeah. uncle had one and I loved it. I think he might have handed it down to me at some point, but by that point, like, I wasn't interested, but um, yeah. it was definitely really cool uh, You know, back in the day. I'm like, yeah, it, it would be kind of nice to do some calculator stuff. Uh, clearly, PCalc exists on the watch. I think it might actually extend the market for something like PCalc of like, all right, if you can get people interested in the idea of a basic calculator and then you're like, but now I need more. <laughs> the, yeah. I, need a, I need a bigger hit. Uh, then people might be you know, interested in trying out something like a PCalc. So I think the most interesting thing about the watch that they're proposing is is the very first point about having the app store directly available in the watch. So you, mm-hmm. you, can, uh, you can download watch apps directly from the app store. Now what that implies to me is that you can, you'll be able to, if this is true, you'll be able to download a watch app without having the corresponding iPhone app on your phone, potentially. Mm, right. Yeah. Uh, and if that's the case, then that means we're getting to the point where you can have independent watch OS apps. Right, so right. so potentially you could you could write and submit a watch app without having an associated iPhone app. So like and a watch app store kind of thing. Right? Yeah. And I think that would really revolutionize the watch app uh, space. You know, it might actually make a lot more people interested in, in doing watch apps again because you don't have all the baggage of right. uh, having to do an iPhone app at the same time. Yeah. And it's something that I've mentioned before is like, here was uh, my own personal take on the on the failings and why the um, watch OS never really took off as a huge app medium. I really 
really hope they allow people to independently charge or watch yeah. apps. Yeah, um, that's what I mean. It's yeah. like, why not? Let the market decide if, if I'm sure it will end up inevitably end up as a race to the bottom and or uh, people switching over to IAPs or subscriptions or something. But like, I kind of want the market to figure that out, right? Like, let let all the uh, the explosion of experimentation happen and then we'll figure it out. But it definitely makes sense to me if you think about, you know, how the watch is becoming much more independent with things like LTE on, right? You don't need a phone nearby. And you think about pairing it up with the AirPods. So you're going, you know, even more independent. And as I've said before, like follow the money. Where's, where's Apple getting its money? Start thinking about aligning your apps and services around that. Their wearables segment. I, I don't have the link from last week available immediately, but it was pretty sizable. So it makes a lot of sense that they might be thinking about positioning a, how can we make this wearable segment in concert with our services segment continue to grow, 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 grow as they've sort of reached peak iPhone, right? Where it's not going to grow that much more, um, if at all, long term. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's funny because, you know, back in the day when, when we had HP and, and the Newton even um, software development, we were building apps and people were charging real money for them, like, you know, like $25, $30. They weren't really, and, you know, the, the iPhone probably started out thinking that would be the case, but pricing was so so much lower, I guess, because of a larger market, right? But um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what people do with watch apps if they'll charge, you know, a nickel for them or, or you know, $10, $20 for them, right? Depending on what they do. Yeah, it's hard to see charging 10 or $20 because the functionality is kind of inherently limited compared to what you can do on a phone. But but why not charge, you know, a buck or two? Yeah, yeah. Interesting talking about uh, some of the, as uh, a pill reminder for keeping track of, uh, you know, like called Dose. And there's another one he's talking called Cycles to track menstrual cycles, as well mm-hmm. as a calculator app. More emojis, Yay! And memojis. My favorite thing in the whole world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> voice memos on the phone. That's kind of an interesting thing too, right? Do you mean on the watch? When he said Sorry, that? on the watch. Yeah. Sorry, mm-hmm. I said phone on the watch. Good catch. I mean, good catch. I could already see Greg Hill furiously yeah, like and, and sweatily yeah. typing up a, a, a follow-up to us uh, as he listened on, on his daily commute. Yeah, yeah he's, he's already phone. twitching, even though he has- <laughs> <laughs> He's like that little picture of the little baby with the fist, right? Okay. Yeah. Another thing that could be interesting is is uh, a standalone watch integration with HomeKit. Oh, right, yeah. Where you can, you know, you're driving up in your car, uh, and instead of having to pull out your phone to, to turn on your lights or whatever. Or unlock uh, the door, yeah. It, or unlock the door. You just do it on the watch. Yeah, I, I, I could definitely see that because I, I get 100% see um, some friends of mine who are like really active and they go running and they do marathons and stuff. Mm-hmm. And and they're the kinds who like like having the AirPods. They're like the LTE watch and they just go off running, right? So them coming home, like they're not going to have their iPhone with them because they left it at home on purpose. They wanted to travel right. light, right? So having it be smart enough to realize, oh, the watch has returned home. Great. Let's go ahead and integrate with HomeKids. Uh, bring up the lights, you know, open the garage door, you know, turn on uh, my winding down music from HomePod, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I could totally see that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I do hope overall uh, that there's more than has that than is included in this list at WBC because although there's a lot of stuff in this list, mm-hmm. it was all relatively small stuff. There's no AR kit. There's no core ML. You know, right. there's, there's, there's nothing huge and earth shattering in this list. So maybe that means they're just keeping that secret and they've only leaked the small stuff. Let's hope that's yeah. what it is. 
Yeah. Let's jump back to Google I.O. for a minute. So one of the things I showed in the in the talk, I don't know if you saw it, Jaime, but it was more sort of an AR, AR kit kind of integration. I don't know if you saw any of that stuff, but did they have much in that way like like Apple had last year? With, was it Last year was AR, but like vertical scaling as opposed to horizontal scaling and stuff like that for planes. Yeah, they've had AR core. In, mm-hmm. On Google's side? At least a year. Yeah, maybe oh, yeah. a couple of years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, they got lots of oohs and ahs over that demo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they put AR stuff in search results. Like they um, showed like, oh, you can oh, search lens, for yeah. like big um, medical musculature, like, you know, show what this arm looks like, you know, half dissected and okay, now show right. it on my, my table. You know, you can imagine like a science student or medical student doing that sort of thing. Um, I think they also used AR for um, I am at this restaurant and I have no idea what to buy. And by holding my phone over it, it will not only show me like here are the most popular things, but I can also see imagery of what those dishes are. Right. right. Um, but, to, but to Mark's point, like I really hope that what we're seeing here, everything here that I'm seeing is all pretty much user focused, right? We've, we've talked about the, the two halves of WWDC day one of uh, the keynote is the like, yeah, that's for uh, more user side. And that's the, the marketing side that like everybody gets all excited about, like, you know, what did they release? But then it's the platform state of the union. Like that's the real meat for uh, developers, such as, you know, everybody on this panel, as well as people listening to the show. And none of the things here are really the like, holy smokes, look at AR kit three, like, look how awesome it is. Uh, look at um, core ML, look how much easier it is to do blah, blah, blah. Like that's the part that I think will be the most exciting, like mind blowing piece that we'll be talking about in a few weeks. Right. Well, um, let's hope so. Yeah, I, I really <laughs> hope so. <laughs> yeah. Remember that thing that Google came out with? Yeah. Yeah. If yeah, yeah. Do we, do the we, next generation of an emojis, then <laughs> we won't be happy. <laughs> yeah. Do we right. want to take Full a bet? Body emojis, to, yeah. do, we, do we want to take a bet now as to how many sessions there are at WWDC related to dark mode, specifically to iOS, <laughs> just iOS. <laughs> Did anybody take the over under on two? There were two from Mac OS last year, which I thought was a lot. Um, so I think there'll be that. I think there'll just be one for iOS. Going with one. All right. All right. That was your first trip to to, um, to WWC, right, Mark? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that like when, when they came out with some things they come out with, they spend a lot of time on and you're like, oh, really? And we have to have this many sessions on this thing. And it's like, you know, um, I'm trying to think of what they had. Like, it wasn't like the large type features, but they would have like three, three or four sessions. One would be a sort of a light survey session and then one to deep dive one and deep dive two kind of thing into some new whiz bang technology like drag and drop or something like that that they came out with, right? And that would, you know, those would take up a lot of time in in the schedule. So I don't know if they they, they seem to have more things that are separated out. Um, hopefully they'll have more lightning talks. Those little, those little 10 minute talks that they throw together into into larger sessions. Those are kind of interesting. So good to see. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think I, they did that at all last year. What do you mean? They weren't lightning talks. Yeah, they, they call them design sessions or whatever, and, and they have like these little 10-minute videos in them, right? I, I don't know 10 minute of those, I guess. No? Yeah, I'm kind of curious, Tim, if those... Well, they had the word design in them, Mark, first of all. <laughs> well, I, I wonder... A couple of design talks. Yeah. Wasn't blown away, to be honest. No, but yeah. yeah. But, but now I'm actually kind of wondering if any of those are actually those smaller nuggets you're talking about were ever mm-hmm. um, shown on stage anywhere at WWDC or since so many people are going to see the videos anyways on the video site, whether you attended and wanted to rewatch, or if you're like uh, a lot of us who are, you know, watching from home, I wonder if they just put those in the list. Well, no, so I, I watched those live, right? When they were on and they would, they would be like, th- it would be like,
like three or four sessions within like the one hour or 90 minute block or whatever, 40 minute block or whatever. But then when they published them, they published them as individual individual items, right? Oh, I see. So it yeah. was one item on the time slot, but then they separated out the individual videos. Yeah, that's why I'm calling them lightning talks. They were shorter, shorter, you know, snippets. Like there was one guy who talking about podcasting uh, last year, I think it was a year before, that was in a larger session, but it was, you know, because it was like these three talks kind of were connected, but not really connected. You know, they did the same thing with auto layout one year where they had three different approaches to auto layout, right? One was, you know, they had the first UI version and then the sort of deeper dive into more things you could do. And then they had a whole coding version on uh, auto layout, but that was like one session, but it mm-hmm. could it was like three distinct talks. You know, Like they don't, like, I think there's a, it's a known thing that Apple doesn't let any, or that they say that Apple d- lets people talk for 10 minutes. They don't put them on for the entire talk, right? They always sort of, that's why they, if you look, they always hand off to Eliza or they hand off to, you know, like Eliza and Joe will do the sort of, you know, introduction to this new feature, right? So kind of thing. I, did we see Eliza last year? I can't remember. You know who I mean, right? Yeah, the she's name is the, uh, the Zoom, the not the Zoom, but the uh, scroll view talks. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's why they, they, if you look at the format of the, the talks, they always sort of split them up. They have somebody come into it, uh, you know, sort of a, a high level piece and then they have, you know, individual di- deep dives. Yeah, somebody will somebody come on like to a, a demo. A marketing guy give the kind of the overview and then they have yeah. technical people come on and they have a, someone someone give a demo. Yeah, and then yeah. They'll, they'll, yeah. They'll, whoever's on the stage at the end does a sort of wrap up and, you know, what to go to next kind of thing. And yep. I, love it on, I love it on Wednesday and Thursday when they say, watch the, the other things you can follow up or the ones you missed on Monday and Tuesday, right? Yeah. By the way, speaking of WWDC talks, this, I just thought of this out of nowhere. Do you remember a couple of years back, they had a demo at WWDC from a company called Anki, the robot company? Yeah, yeah. We, yes. We, great, Xavier, yes. the number one fan of uh, start of uh, Spotcast, has all the Anki cars and stuff. Uh, yeah. They shut down last week. No way. Out of no. nowhere. Yep. They, sh- they just closed the doors. Wow. Yep. Yep. Wonder why. Uh, they had a good uh, racket going. They had tracks going and all kinds of stuff. Like they went from they had this sort of it was like a mat, you know, like a the cars would run around a mat, and then they, then they yeah. came up with track. You could put build your tracks across the whole basement kind of floor, right? Yeah. The word I got was they couldn't get past it being a toy. It was oh. it was an expensive toy. Yeah. Uh, so they couldn't sell enough of them uh, as an expensive toy to mm. to keep the you know keep keep the enterprise going, and and they couldn't figure out any non toy applications of it. So, mm. but yeah, but they've been around for a long time. They burned through a lot of money. Oh. Really, kind of a kind of a shame. Yeah, I thought they, they, that that kind of AI would go into like you know drones or something, right? <laughs> Where, warehousing units like robots, the Kiva robots that Amazon has for its warehouse. Yeah, yeah. But clearly, the uh, WWDC bump is not as powerful as the MTGC bump. So yeah, <laughs> MTGC bump has seen the yeah. Beyond Meat Burger become <laughs> a, an IPO'd company. <laughs> So I guess to finish off the uh, WWDC thing, I predict there will be at least two sessions. And here are the session titles. They're probably, uh, I think it's upwards of three, but it's probably at least two. There's uh, Introduction to Dark Mode, Advanced Dark Mode. And the third that may or may not occur is Adapting Your App to Dark Mode. No, you also have Designing for Dark Mode. You forgot that one. Ooh, see? So maybe I should have done the over-under on three instead of two. Yeah, I went conservative. So, yeah, yeah. Dark Mode and you, got to do that one too. Yeah. Accessibility for Dark Mode. <laughs> what are you guys laughing at? I'm serious. <laughs> I, I could totally see it. You know, I could totally see. Um, yeah. Which fonts to use for dark mode? We are talking. Oh, we're talking about iOS, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, if if macOS got two sessions for dark mode, clearly iOS at a minimum gets two sessions. No, like four. Just for sure. given the disparity in in developer attention on them. Yeah, intro to dark I mode. I don't know. Dark, dark mode was one. so last year though. This is it's now it's an incremental thing. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's full body memoji, right? Yeah. Now when they have dark mode for the watch app, now that'll be something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they already have dark mode. What if they have light mode for the watch? Dark mode for HomePod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah triangulation with home pod yeah that's all you need yeah what else can they come up with well we'll have to wait and see looking forward to it i guess dark mode for tv os mm-hmm. i don't know what that would be i don't know we we didn't actually mention tv os at all in any of this no actually yeah let me just see maybe that's maybe my point. version of the article had point. more on it i don't know there's a video too here which we didn't watch i remember i think it was just a talky uh, scrolly video yeah. anyway we'll find out soon enough yes Siri Bob. All right. So have we got any picks this week, Kami? I do. The videos just came out today for the App Builders Switzerland 2019 conference. I apologize. Mm-hmm. I've once again not seen any of these videos before making it a pick, but it looks like there's a lot of interesting options here. Like one that is definitely going on the watch uh, watch list is going to be uh, That Swift IDE by Marcin Krizanowski. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is the same individual who I've seen on Twitter who is, is yes yeah. building a IDE um, from scratch for Swift uh, as sort of an in-between between like playgrounds and or uh, Xcode, right? So I'm, I'm very interested in, a, in an alternative to always having to use Xcode or playgrounds within yeah. Xcode to yeah. develop Sarush stuff. Is, uh, Sarush did a talk here, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the the other one, just given my uh, my my Twitter poll of, of the madness of uh, combining Swift and Kotlin, just like you know, mm-hmm. oil and water, um, sharing code between iOS and Android apps is going to be on my list of things to watch because that's uh, that's come up in my my day to day stuff. Mm-hmm. And Rainbow is there too. Yeah. Uh, what was his ship? When did safe? It, this was when, when did this take place? Because they just he was just at NS North. This took place uh, like middle of April, maybe early April. I oh, think. Okay. Okay. Right. In um, in Switzerland, as I mentioned. Um, another one. Uh, where is it? I'm very interested in what scaling architecture at Lyft means because I've hmm. I've got grumpy opinions about app architectures that are not fully formulated in my brain and i'm kind of curious to see what some other folks think oh including mm-hmm. one i just noticed here onion like ios architecture solution because mm-hmm. uh iOS architectures can be much like ogres they're like onions <laughs> all right i guess that's it for another week so hey hi me if people want to get in touch with you where would they find you i'm on twitter as at dev with the hair all right and mark if people want to get in touch with you mark R at snapsoft.com all right okay my name is timitra t-i-m-m-i-t-r-a and on the twitter machine is where you'll find me and so until next week or next time we'll say bye-bye bye goodbye this has been another episode of the more than just code podcast if you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes visit the more than just code website at mtjc.fm you can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on twitter at mtjc underscore podcast if you have feedback or questions send us a tweet with the hashtag ask mtjc if you like the show please consider recommending us to a friend writing a review on itunes or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc you can find out details on how to help us out on the website mtjc.fm slash sponsor us now stick around for the after show and thanks for listening and we'll see you next time
Mark. So the jet lag from last week too. Yeah, I can imagine that's quite a few time zones to switch yes. over, skip over. Yeah, you're still yeah. on island time. Oh, you know I didn't talk about this. What I want to talk about my my experience at the Apple Store getting a new phone. Oh, so, um, Carol, the, this is ha- this happened to be the weekend that Carol is her busiest of the year, and she, and it was an inconvenient time for her to be without a phone. So I thought, okay, well, we talked about you know what should we do? Should we just get a, a seven or an eight? Right? And she says, well, why don't you just get the 10s? And I'm like, really? Okay. Um, but I wasn't going to get one. I was going to wait for the next phone or whatever it's going to be, right? Um, but so I, I looked up online, and sure enough, Apple had that trade-in program that they have here. So I thought, well, okay, I'll go to the Apple Store. You had to go to the Apple Store. You couldn't do it online, or you couldn't do it through any other way. So, um, so I got the phone. You know, basically, I got it. Got her cleared off of the phone, and I, I basically backed up my data to my to my. Um, I wanted to make sure my phone data, which has more customer stuff available on it, and stuff. I use I use my phone way more than she does, so I wanted to make sure that my phone restored properly first. So I backed up my phone, and then on on her phone, her the, the, the seven, um, I you know got got the data down to a point where I could put it could afford to put the my data on top of that one. And so I tried to do tried to do my backup and restore, but the restore kept failing because I had it on a, on a external USB drive, and I think the, I kept bumping maybe the USB thing, and it was super sensitive when it's restoring, and it kept failing. So I thought, okay, well I've never tried the iCloud backup. I don't know if you guys have. Have you guys used iCloud for backup? Or? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here, so here's the horror story. So I did, I did the iCloud backup, and um, that took it took like you know probably 40 minutes to do the initial backup, right? I actually did. I had taken her her phone into the store on on the Friday, and um, and we did a, we did a backup at the store with hers to iCloud. So I so that's I kind of saw how painless it was to do that. And you know I'm assuming that because you know you've got applications, you've got music, and you've got movies. Those kind of things don't need to get backed up, and so what you really need to do is up, back up your application data, which is considerably smaller than than those previous things I mentioned, right? So that's what I assumed iCloud is doing, you know, backing up the data for the applications, which makes sense to me, because um, my backup sizes on on a physical drive are way bigger. They ended up being like a five or six gigabyte backup on iCloud for for my data, right? So I did that, and then I restored my my profile to her phone, um, and all everything looked cool and everything looked great, right? So then I then I then I wiped her phone and I restored her data onto onto. Sorry, I wiped my phone, my my iPhone 10, and I restored her data to the iPhone 10 and sent her off on her her busy weekend, right? And you know she learned how to use FaceTime and and the home switch, the homeless home homeless button, and the, what do you call the the home area thing? What do you what do you call that little swipey thing? I forget now. So she's able to the to home indicator. Home indicator. She was able to transition over to that flow, and and she's never been able to use Touch ID. So for her to be able to use Face ID is like amazing. <laughs> You know, um, so that that went fairly well for her. So then I go off to the Apple Store and you know I, I negotiate with these people and and get it done. I'm going to skip I'm going to skip the the activation for for now and just go back into the the data restore. So when I so I started the the iCloud restore at the store and I was I waited like you know a few minutes for to for everything to kind of settle down to the point where you know I had one password and I had uh, all the applications and stuff that I needed to get out of the store right like so I would be happy with this and because you know I don't know if you notice or not. But apps don't necessarily download; they don't restore until you actually go to try and use them. I don't know if you've noticed that before. But so I get home and, and you know, finish the finish the restore, and all the application icons are all you know they're not grayed out; they're not you know in a pause state or whatever. And then I started noticing interesting things, like some of the apps, the data is just not there. Like I've lost you know apps that store you know um, um, loyalty cards. I have an app that does that; that all the loyalty cards are gone. It has a record of the cards that I had on the on the device, but it doesn't have the actual data stored as to what the barcodes are 
are and all that kind of stuff, right? And the, the, the killer for me was all my Google Authenticator data was gone. So that didn't back up and it didn't restore, which I didn't find out until after I had gone through this process. So I had no backups for my Google Authenticator stuff, right? So And, and I've been happily setting up two-factor two authentication left, right, and center, you know, on all the different services like, you know, Bitbucket and what have you. So that was kind of a, that was kind of a, a kick in the pants, if you will. <laughs> um, I've had to go back and go log into those sites, you know, on, on, on however I can get into them, prove that I am who I say I am, and then delete the two-factor authentication so I can get back in and, and do that. So like, you know, things like Twitter and, and um, Bitbucket and places like that. And I can't even remember half of the things that I had set up. Um, you know, some of my domain management stuff, you know, had used two-factor authentication with Google Authenticator as the authenticator, right? So that was kind of a pain. But yeah, so that's the surprising thing is like for some reason, iCloud backup and restore doesn't seem to restore everything or doesn't seem to backup everything, which was a bit of a surprise to me, right? You know? Yeah, I I, I know what you ran into because um, I knew once you said, oh, iCloud backup, there's definitely, like I can guarantee the Google Authenticator was not going to come over. Um, and the, the thing that makes things difficult for me to know exactly what's going on um, in my experience is the like weird debacle I had trying to restore onto my iPhone 10 when I first bought that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. in previous versions of the iPhone, um, it was like, oh, if you want all your, you know, uh, encrypted data and stuff to come over, you have to use the encrypted right, uh, yeah, option yeah. on uh, iTunes backup. Right. And I don't yeah, think I right. ever I lost saw all my health data too. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that kind of seemed like it was almost like imaging the phone and then just like moving it over from device. Um, having the weird like, oh, it refuses to go from what my iPhone 7 plus over to my iPhone 10. And it was like, like a bad merge <laughs> is almost what happened. And like, it, I just basically end up manually installing apps and, and restoring things. Um, that was a bit of pain I went through purely because I said, oh my gosh, I don't want to have to deal with things like Google Authenticator and other things. And I don't remember what actually happened in that circumstance. I may or may not have had to reset up all my 2FA stuff, but um, unless things have changed and it sounds like they haven't, iCloud backup does not include some of those items that are key for what the encrypted backup would normally do. Yeah, which so is really odd because, you know, and but again, like Authy is another app that I use. Like I started using Google Authenticator because everybody's like, oh, I use Google Authenticator. But I had been using Authy before and this morning I went to use Authy and I realized that, oh, I need to log in. Like my Authy had lost its association with my phone, right? But when I when I went in to set up Authy this morning, all of the Authy records showed up that I had stored in my on my Authy account. Because I thought, oh, here I go again. I'm going to run into the same problem I had with Google, Google, Google Authenticator. But no, everything came back in Authy. So I'm not sure if it's stored on a server somewhere or whatever, but yeah. I think it actually, is with Authy. I think that's a big difference between Authy and uh, Google Authenticator. I was totally delighted by that, let me tell you. Because, I mean, yeah, because for me, the mission critical thing was 1Password was 1. And thankfully, I'm now using 1Password on on their server, their subscription service. So I know the data is there if I need to get it, right? So, and Because I, I use it on my Mac and my phones and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's been a bit, a bit surprised. And that's all my all my health data, all my exercising that I've done. Well, I think that might have been part of the problem might have been was I thought I had to disassociate my watch from my phone and then re reinitiate it with the with an, with the new new phone. Um, but turns out when I did I didn't do that for Carol and her watch and her phone automatically just synced back up again. I don't know if she 
she'd lost anything. But yeah, I guess I guess the phone, the watch doesn't data doesn't get backed up if you if you disconnect it from the device. Like you know, you can go in and say reset on the on the watch, or you can do it in the watch app itself. You can disconnect it from your phone. So yeah, I lost all my exercises and stuff and like that. Uh, I wonder if it's still on my old on my old my old watch. But yeah, so that was kind of a pain in the butt. Too. Yeah, sure, sure, Jim. That's what you're saying now. Oh yeah, it it lost all my exercise data. Yeah, that that's yeah, it's true. All that all that walking you did last year. <laughs> yeah, all, that, yeah. all those miles I logged. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Miles, sure. yeah. Yeah, centimeters. Kilometers, sorry. Yeah. Centimeters, kilometers, yeah. centimeters yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, anyway, so let's go back to the Apple, the, 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 my experience at the Apple store. So so the first day I went in, it was, it was you know, surprising because it was having trouble with the phone. Like the screen was not, the backlit wasn't, wasn't coming on consistently, right? And thankfully, the technician that I spoke to on the first day, she was amazing because she's like, she wouldn't let it go, right? She's kind of like me with data, right? I don't like to lose data. She obviously didn't want me to lose data either. And so she was looking at Carol's phone and she realized that what was happening, the phone wasn't wasn't that the phone wasn't starting or it wasn't running properly it's just the backlight was backlight was not coming in because i think there was something stuck with the proximity sensor you know the thing you hold up to your face and it goes black because she noticed that she could actually see the display the lcd display you know if she held a light up to it or whatever right so we were able to run a backup on carol's phone which we had and surprisingly i didn't i don't know how we managed to do this but we had never backed up carol's phone <laughs> you know because you know, I, I don't i don't think she plugs it into her mac any anymore near her thing and i had never run even done the first backup Right, I'd done a restore to it, but, but I had never done a backup. So thankfully, we had, we were able to we had space on our iCloud to do that initially, right? So that was good. So I was able to get her data back. But so the, and then and then the screen started working and it was fine and it looked like the phone was back to normal. And I thought, okay, well then I'll just take it home and and uh, I, won't, I was going to buy a phone on the spot. And and it's funny because I was talking to the one uh, they bring they bring over a sales associate to help you with your activation for your phone. And I was looking at it. It was going to cost me an extra twenty dollars a month and you know for to get a phone on the plan and all that kind of stuff and i thought well let me let me go talk to carol about it because we'll decide what phone we want to get and all that kind of stuff right i didn't want to make a decision right then because it looked like the, her phone was was back to normal um because yeah i think i mentioned we were we were in hawaii on salt water and we weren't sure if it got wet or whatever right so the next day i went back so came home that night phone wasn't working that's when i did the migration over to her phone i was up till five in the morning migrating from onto my phone and then on her onto my iphone 10 right that took that long to get all that done so the next morning i went into apple and and, and I tried to talk to the same same sales associate that was there, um, and he wasn't. But this this young girl, um, who it was her first time doing an, an activation, which was which was kind of fun. But the best thing about I didn't realize, and I and tell you from now on, I am going to the Apple Store for all of my cell phone activations, and I, I highly recommend you guys do too, because I went in there and they they call up Rogers on their screen. Like when you when I call Rogers here, I've been with Rogers for fifteen years. I call them up on the phone. They kind of they'll kind of look at their screen and they'll tell you what the plans are available to you. And they kind of give you like one, maybe two choices, right? And it's been, that's been my experience the entire time I've been dealing with Rogers. Either, either if you go into a store, the guy has, you know, a blacked out screen with a privacy filter on it. So you can't see what he's seeing and he's just telling you what the plans are that are available. And same thing with, even with my, my friend who used to hand deliver the iPhones to me, I've told you about in the past, even he would kind of like, you know, not on purpose, but he would sort of say, these are the plans that are available and cut and dry and these are your choices. Anyway, so I'm sitting with this girl. She's got her iPad out. She logs into Rogers. She, you know, authenticates me, makes sure it's who I, I am, who I am. And we can see, and she shows me on the iPad what she 
can see about my screen. So I can see my information, I can see Carol's information, and I can see all of the promotions that Rogers is offering me for, for being a loyal customer for 15 years. Mm. And it was amazing. So, you know, so I used the trade-in pr- program to get the maximum amount of money I could get for the phone, for the for the old phone, for the iPhone 7. I got 250 bucks for that, right? And then I had this promotion from Rogers, which was an amazing price. They were giving me $700 off an iPhone 10s with 256 56 gigs. So I was going to pay around 800 bucks for it, right? I'm, don't, don't quote me the numbers. These are rough numbers, right? But then I'm looking through an, an Apple, sorry, Rogers has this new program where you can pay $20 a month or whatever and get their, their I'm doing air quotes, their, their hardware coverage, which covers loss as well as, as well as, um, you know, damage like, you know, crack screens or whatever, or, or warranty issues, right? But I also noticed that they have Apple Care on the thing for $10 a month. And I thought, well, you know, it's Apple Care on an iPhone XS and iPhone X is like 260 bucks or something Canadian, right? So $10 a month is easier to swallow. It just goes onto your bill and, you, you know, you just, you don't worry about it, right? So I'm looking at this plan and, and I didn't want to change my, my current plan. I'm happy with the amount of data I've got. I'm happy with the amount of minutes and all that kind of nonsense that we have as well, right? And, you know, I, I think I mentioned the day before that it was going to cost me an extra $20 a month, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, but in looking at it, you know, she could show me all the things that, that all the sort of loyalty points I had available to me. And I, and I'm, so I was able to capitalize on those. So, you know, I ended up walking out of there with a phone for 650 bucks, hmm. you know, that I had to pay right there. Right. Plus I didn't have to ch- make a single change to my plan. Carol's phone had just come off of like, it had just been, you know, fully released on the, the contract in March, ironically. Right. So, um, and, and apparently if you call Rod, up, you have to call Rogers up and say, oh, by the way, my phone's off off the, I don't know, lease program or what you want to call it, right? The subs- subsidized program. And then they'll take $10 off your bill, which is ridiculous, right? You know, but so yeah, so I'm st- I have a two, two-year contract with, with Rogers again, but but I got this phone for like an amazing price. And it was all because I was able to see what my options were by working with the Apple girl. And it took a couple of hours. It wasn't like quick, right? But all this sort of stuff we were doing back and forth. But but yeah, it was, I was totally pleased with, with the experience of, of activating my phone at the Apple store. I don't know if you, if you guys have done that before or not. I have not. I've always gotten my phone by mail. Yeah. So Yeah. And I have gotten um, service from them before where like, what was wrong? My iPhone 5 just was randomly losing connectivity yeah, uh, yeah. to the mobile network. And at the, I can't remember why I didn't go to Verizon first, probably because of it. Oh my gosh, this is going to be a terrible experience. Let me go to the Apple store first. And see <laughs> yeah, if they could sure, yeah. Is this the device the problem or it's the network? And they were like, oh, we, we've got an extra SIM. We can try it out. If, if this stays connected, then we know, unfortunately, you'll need to go to Verizon. But at least I had a really good experience. They narrowed it down versus what I assumed was going to happen if I went to Verizon first. I'd be like, oh, maybe it's Apple. Go to them. And I just waste my time, right? Yeah, I've always, they, I've always had a great experience with Apple for, for, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of like, I, I you know, I don't like the, the getting talked down to by the geniuses and whatever. But, you know, they, they were actually, this time they were actually pretty decent about it, right? So they were very helpful. And, and the Eaton Center store at, at, in Toronto is super busy. Like, you know, you, you literally, you have to make an appointment like hours in advance of going in and, and it's always packed, right? So, you know, uh, and they've, they've, they've kind of like the whole genius section of the, of the phone or sort of the store is taking up like a, a third of the store now in Toronto, right? I don't know if it's like that for you guys, but our store is about the same size, a little bit smaller than the one in Palo Alto, Mark, you know, for scale. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's a, it's a big store, but it's not super yep. big, but yeah, but you can imagine how packed it can get in there, right? Like it's, it's like Walter 
the wall people. You, you, you've got people to the left and right, right of you all the time, right? Yeah, I, I'm just saying, like, the, the experience was so good. Like, you know, I can't imagine not going there again in the future. And, I, and I've gone in for hardware issues before. I think I had an iPhone 5 problem. I think it was the headphone jack stopped working on one of them. I think I might have had a battery replaced on another. I think they actually just replaced the whole unit in that one because I think it was a recall on the battery. And then I had that lightsaber effect on my uh, on my iPhone 10, right, when I first got it. Oh, and I also had the the i the uh, my first iPad Pro had the magnets were backwards in the in the in the cover, so the cover never quite sat straight on it. So I, those ones I've always taken. Oh, any hardware problem, I've always taken it back to Apple if if if, uh, if there's an issue, right? So yeah, I'm telling you, like hands down, highly recommend take your phone to the Apple Store, mm. especially when you're doing activations, right? Yeah. So I don't know what it's, what it's like with you guys with the cell providers. How do you find them when you're talking to them? They're, they're Try not, not to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should just do it online. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same sort of thing. Like I used to have my friend, you know, um, Dan, who I used to go to, and he like he used to always put aside a phone for me, like on day on the day one phones, because I would let him know months in advance and when the phones are coming out and what have you. And he would always he would always sit one, put one aside for me, and you know, he even drove it to my house a couple of times, like, literally, right? Um, but uh, yeah, he used to be pretty pretty you know decent to deal with, and that's why I dealt with him, right? But uh, he he retired you know years ago, right? But yeah, this is this is the first time I've had a decent cell experience, and and I can't remember how long, you know. So yeah, that was my story about my iPhone. I'm just not thrilled about having to put everything back, but yeah, there you go. There you have it. I probably have to increase my uh, my um, my plan now. I'm very skeptical about the size of. I guess I, I guess it does incremental backups um, to iCloud, but it only seems to keep one backup, which is fine. Right? Of the device, you mean when you're doing the iCloud backup? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy about the fact that my photos are all on, on in the sky now, and you know, well, at least with Apple anyway. And uh, yeah, I've always been a little bit leery about keeping the data up there, but you know, we, you know, we know we have encryption between us and, and them, right? So, yeah. But I, I do know that if I if I if the hardware restore had like if I'd been able to restore the from the actual um, USB drive, then I know that it would have all come back, you know, all the data. Because every other time I've done a backup, it's been you know 100%, right? But you're right. I didn't notice that thing about the health data only works if it's encrypted, right? No, that's it. Be happy, joy, joy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on that happy note, I think we better call it a night, eh? Yep, yep. It's getting late. Yeah. All right, folks.